Uh, and what's unique about, about James is, is he was the brother of Jesus, but, but growing up alongside Jesus, he didn't believe that, that Christ was actually the Savior of the world. <clears throat> now, I don't know, I think a lot of us, we grew up with our siblings, never really knowing if there'll be anything special, but, but for James, he, he kind of looked at Jesus, and I'm, I'm assuming Jesus wasn't, you know, as a kid, a preteen, you know, turning water into Kool-Aid for the neighborhood kids. He wasn't miraculously doing his chores, you know, faster than his siblings. And so James had every reason to probably believe he's nothing special. And even when, when Jesus went through his ministry, he was telling people he was the Savior of the world, that he was the King of Kings, that he was the Messiah, the Redeemer. But James didn't buy into it. But James eventually did, but, but what it took was watching his brother die on a cross and, and then actually having an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. And that's what allowed James to finally come to faith. And, and it makes sense if, if the resurrection, we by faith believe it happened, and if you're standing across from the resurrected Christ, you were standing across from your resurrected brother, that's foolproof evidence that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Everything he said about himself is true. He is the Savior of the world. And when we consider how, how James came to faith, I think it highlights that, that we all have to consider how we will respond to Christ and who he is. When we hear about that truth, we hear Jesus is the Savior of the world, is that something that's going to fundamentally change every aspect of our life? Or is the, the truth of who Christ is, is that something that we just kind of appreciate, kind of applaud, but, but it really doesn't change anything about our lives? Now, our senior pastor, Jeff, uh, he, he's on vacation right now. Uh, him and Julia are actually driving uh, Jeeps through the Grand Canyon. And, and I asked before they left, how could we be praying for them? And Julia said, just pray that Jeff doesn't get too close to the edge. We've not heard from them, um, but I don't think they have cell phone service. But, but, but what Jeff's done really well all throughout our study on the book of James is, is highlight how when you go through the book, he's, he's here, then he's that. The common theme throughout the book of James is that James is talking about this idea of how we can all be double-minded, uh, how we can claim faith uh, and genuinely mean it and say we have faith in Christ and he is the Savior of the world, all those things but never really have him, allow Him to have a say in our day-to-day. -day. We, we can claim faith in Christ, but then we can be double-minded. We can kind of conflict with ourselves. We can claim faith in Christ and really do, we, we, we mean it, but not really be guided by His Spirit. Instead, we're, we're, we're being guided by our preferences, uh, guided by our humanness. We can, in seasons of life, have good intentions, but kind of take the pen out of Jesus' hand and, and not trust Him with the authorship of our lives. And so, so James, is gonna, this is kind of what he's getting at today, and, and it's this section where it's titled Boasting About Tomorrow. Um, some people will say it's a section about planning, and, and it is. Uh, but, but more than that, it's this section of Scripture, really small but powerful, that talks about the confidence that, that you and I carry every day with our lives, our plans, how we say this is what we're going to do, and, and we just hope that the Lord blesses it. And that's what James is going to talk about today. But before we dive in, I, I want to be clear that planning is good. And there have been some people who will read this and say, so we shouldn't plan at all. No, planning is good. Um, God is a planner. Uh, the, the Bible says several times that God has a plan for your life. And so, so, so planning is good as long as we allow the Lord to speak into those plans. And that's what James is going to talk about today. And so we're going to read this scripture in two parts. And then here's the first part. James says, look here, you who say, uh, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. And James says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? 
And he gives this powerful illustration. He says, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. So, so that's James' first thought here. He, he wants us to understand. He wanted believers 2,000 years ago to, to really wrestle with this idea that, that life is short. James says it's like the morning fog. Uh, another translation has James saying, it, you can imagine like a squirt bottle. He says, it, your life is like a mist. It's here one second, and then it's gone the next. Life is short, and, and we feel that. There's this old saying within parents, but I think it's true for life in general. They say uh, that the days are long, but the years are short. Uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And I think that's true just in general for all of us. Now, I know that there's some younger folks in here who think, that's nonsense. I got my whole life ahead of me. Like, I've got all these plans. You, there's, I'm going to say it, but there's no way that you're going to believe me. You have no idea how fast that life is going to go. I mean, you think you've got all these years, and you do, but it's going to go by just like that. I mean, words cannot express. We cannot convince you to understand that, but I promise you, it goes fast. And, and some of us who are younger, or not younger, I should say, some of us who, who are on the other side of the hill, as I said that, that life goes like this, and you have no idea, there are several nods, like, yeah, because those of us who are a little older, we, we get it. But some of us are parents. And, and, and some of us parents, we just sent our kids off to college. And we think, what in the, where did the, the time go? Um, some of us, we, we, we have little ones, and, and we remember when we were just trying to get them to get, to get dressed, right? And now they're parents, and you laugh because your grandparents and the grandbabies don't get dressed. And you're like, this is right. This is payback, right? Some of us, we look in the mirror, and, and we see pictures of our younger selves. We look in the mirror, and we're like, where did the time go? I mean, I'm only 37, but I have gray in my beard. My wife and I, we celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary this week, um, and it was real romantic. Uh, one kid wouldn't keep their clothes on, another was teething, another constipated. I mean, it's the stuff you dream about um, on wedding anniversary nights, for sure. Um, and, and, and so, uh, in, in the midst of that, one thing that, that we try to do with, with our kids is um, you know, this idea of a wedding anniversary for, for Judah, he's 10 months old, and he doesn't, he's never, he doesn't get it, but, but Evelyn and, and Ezra, they're, they're four and two, and they can kind of get it, so, so we buy them uh, gifts for our anniversary because one thing that makes our marriage so special is that they're a part of it, um, and, and so on the 13th wedding anniversary, I, I pull out this picture of Julie and I on our wedding day, and I show my sweet children this picture, and, and Ezra looks at the picture, looks at me, and says, so concerned, Daddy, what happened to your face? It's like, okay. And Evelyn, you know, is trying to get in. She's like, let me see, let me see. And she looks at the picture, looks at us and says, Daddy, who dat? I just, I mean, complete, co completely clueless. But, but all of us, we have these moments and these seasons where we just wonder, like, where did the time go? It, it's, life is so short, it, it, go, it goes so fast. Uh, in Psalm 90.10, the psalmist says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. We quick, they quickly pass, these days do, and, and we, we fly away. We're like the morning fog. We're here just a little bit, and then next thing you know, we're, we're gone. Uh, maybe, 
less spiritual, but I, I assume it's true nonetheless. Uh, I was talking to someone much older than me about this idea of life being short and, and this teaching today, and, and they're older than me, and they said, well, Josh, you got to understand that, that life is a lot like the roll of toilet paper. Do, do go on. Uh, and they said, they said, the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. I was like, I'll be darned. I bet that is true. I bet once I get there, I'll say that's, that's definitely right, right? And I believe them. Like, James is so spot on, even though it's 2,000 years since he's written these words, but, but life is so short. It goes by so fast. And, and, and kind of a, a heavy thought is we just don't know how fast it's going to go. Not to, to take the air out of the room, but, but, but the reality is there are thousands of people every single day who, who have their, 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 their life ahead of them. They're making all of these plans, you know, maybe for, for, for the weekend. They've got dinner in the slow cooker. They've got a calendar full of things. They've, they've got their retirement planned, and, and they go out the door with all of their plans. And tragically, they never come home. That happens to thousands of people just like us who, who have plans. Life is short and fragile, but we just don't know how short or really how fragile. There are people with with, with plans in front of them. Thousands of people all the time have plans in front of them. They know what they're going to do. Just like James says, they, they have everything directed. Their, their planners filled out. And they go to a doctor for a routine checkup, and, and, and in that routine checkup, they find out that their days are numbered. Life is short. It's fragile, but we just don't know how short or how fragile. Like the morning fog. We're here one moment, and then, and then we're gone. And kind of that, that heavy, weighty truth that life is short. We just don't know how short. There's, there's a lot that we could, could, could do with that truth. Some people may take the, the, the carpe diem, you know, or I'm going to seize the day. Some of us will, will listen to a country song and, and they'll tell us, well, you should live like you're dying. Well, so that, that's a good idea. Now, this, this, this heavy truth that life is short and we just don't know how short. And for, for some of us, uh, we may react by, by saying, man, like, I need to make some things right in my life, you know. I need to go and make amends here because I just don't know, you know, tomorrow's not promised. And some of us, we may take that truth and say, you know, with life being short and we just don't know how short it is, I need to say some things I have my heart. And, and that's good, too. I think we all need to do that. I, I think we all think a, a lot of positive things about people. and we, we just need to say more of those good things. Some of us, we may hug our kids tighter. Tomorrow is, is not promised, so we may just grab those littles and embrace them. Maybe deciding they need less instruction and, and more love. And we may also, with this idea that, that life is short and it's, it's fragile, uh, we may need just to put down the phone. Be, be more present with the people we love because we don't know how much time we have and we don't know how much time they have. And, and all of those things are good. I really do think we should do all of those things more often. But in this space, when you and I talk about just the, the reality of how short life is, what we have to come to understand is that we have no idea how much time we have left to fully commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. He is a Lord of, of love and mercy and grace, but, but, but He is also a, a just God. And I don't think it's going to work. I, I don't think that we're going to kind of flirt with Jesus most of our life and, and we're going to end up coming face to face with him and we're going to say, well, if we're being honest here, Jesus, um, I, I thought I had more time. If, if, if you'd have given me more time, 
Boy, we'd, we'd be in a better spot right now, huh? Like, that's not reality. That, that's not going to happen. We have no idea when we are going to be face-to-face with Christ. The, the psalmist, once again, he tells us, so teach us to number our days, right? Life is short. You need to know this so that we may present to you, to God, a heart of wisdom. We have no idea how much time is left in our hourglass. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. Kind of a daunting thought is, one day you and I will not have a tomorrow. We, we, we won't, and, and that, that's heavy, and it, it should be heavy. We, we should number our days. And then that's James' point here is that we can spend our time making all of our plans without even slowing down to wonder, can Christ have a say in them? So that's the first part. Life is short, and we maybe need to not be confident in all of our plans. And then he goes on, right? He doesn't just give us bad news. He tells us good news. He says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to. And here in a little bit, we're going to talk about what the Lord wants us to do. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do, which is what the Lord wants you to do, and then not do it. Now, I know from the perspective of my life that our tendency is to involve the Lord in our big plans. Maybe it's, it's which college that we go to. Do, do I marry this boy or, or, or girl? Some of you are businessmen and businesswomen. Maybe you're, you really want to involve the Lord in your business ventures. Like, you know, big plans that could change the next 30 years for you and your employees. And you, you want to involve the Lord in, in that. Uh, do, do I even take this job or, or leave this job? Do, do we buy this house or, or, or that house? Um, make a move. It's natural for us to, to come across these big decisions in our life where we know we'd be foolish to not involve the big guy. And you can probably think in your life, those, those moments when you, you know, all right, we got, this, this calls for the higher-ups. I don't want to make this decision based on my own wisdom. And James, he's not necessarily talking about just the, the, those big moments. In that illustration he gave, it's about everyday plans, what you're going to do, and, and allowing Jesus to have a say in those things. I've been reading this, this book by A.W. Tozer, and um, it's called Discipleship, and, and it's really good. Um, he, no one would ever say Tozer's shallow. It's, it's really convicting. Um, I'm reading it kind of alongside another guy, and, and we'll just send each other just these quotes that we're, that we're reading. And, and when I say it beats you up in a good way, uh, it calls you to be more, more faithful to, to, to Christ. And, and it's just, it, it really is good stuff, but, but, but he talks about this idea how, how, for example, you and I, as we share this space together, and those of us who, who have come to faith in Christ, in that moment, whether it's at a church, whether it's at a camp, or whether it was at a conference, you and I stood before people or stood with somebody, and, and at some point, as we entered into a relationship with Jesus, we declared Him our Lord and Savior. And every church, camp, or conference I've been a part of, uh, that, that's true, that the wording behind it or in front of it can change, but, but we've come to faith in Christ, we've declared Him as our Lord and Savior. And on what Tozer argues and where it's really been, been beating me up in a good way is, is, is he says that if you look, though, at how most of us live our lives or how most Christians live their lives, they're not interested in Jesus being Lord, but they're really excited about Jesus being Savior. He says we want a Savior because we want insurance value. 
He says we, we, we want care and protection that God gives us now and the assurance that we can avoid hell at the time of our death. And then, then he continues on, and, and, and I apologize, it's kind of skewed on the screen there. Uh, he, he says this, he says, we need to take Christ for what He is, the anointed Savior and Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He would not be who He is if He saved us and called us and chose us without the understanding that He can also guide and control our lives. For Jesus to be Lord in our life, what that means is that we come to the understanding that, that Christ has not only been, been given all authority in heaven and on earth, but He has the, the authority in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute lives. Um, I was reading one, one illustration, and someone talked about a car GPS. Um, how, how you and I, if, if you were going, for example, uh, to Texas, right, and then, well, you're going to Waco, Texas, 17-hour drive, you would so confidently put that address in the GPS and hit go, and you are trusting this tiny little computer to get you from point A to point B and the hundreds of different turns. You have so much we do. We have so much faith for that to get us to where we need to go. But as we go to our day-to-day and moment-by-moment life, we don't grant Christ that type of authority. It's real easy for us to, to, to want that Savior and to say, you're, God, I'm going to assume because you're good and you're loving, you're going to bless all of my plans along the way. But for him to be Lord is for us to continually pause and say, is this the plan you want for my life? Not just in those big decisions, but in the small ones. Because without him being Lord, it, it's a tragedy. Here's some of Jesus' own words. While teaching about building our life on, on his teaching, what he called a solid foundation, he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Then later Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now, when you read something like that, it can sound like he's beating us up. It can sound intimidating, but but I want us to understand it's loving. Jesus loves us so much that that he doesn't just want a say in our eternity. He, He wants a say in our momentary as well. He, he wants more than, than just our attendance on a Sunday morning. He wants more than just us serving once a month. He wants more than us just being in a small group. He wants more than us just giving money to offering. He, he wants more than the things we feel like we should do. He, he wants our heart. And He wants us to hold on to our well-thought-out plans loosely so He can have a say in this and guide us. He says in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, as we talk about James telling us, uh, be careful with your planning, you really need to be open to what, in your day-to-day, of what Jesus wants you to do. This idea of, oh, what do you want me to do? And then you pair that with Jesus' words, and Jesus is saying things like, my sheep, they listen to my voice, and hey, just because you say Lord doesn't mean you're going where I'm going. Uh, you can call me Lord, that's all good and well, but you need to do what I say. Well, what happens in, in, in moments like this is, is we, we over-speculate, we, we, we worry too much, and we're wondering like, okay, if I'm going to be open to this, how do I know, God, if that's you speaking and not my own feelings? How do I know that's you speaking and what you want for my life and not just what other people around me want for my life? 
As we start to consider living our lives moment by moment, being open to these nudges, we, we, we start to wonder, how do I know if that nudge is really of Christ? And so what we're going to do is, is we're going to give you some, some foolproof ways that if you, you take these all together, and if you're serious about, about being open to Christ's nudges and, and what He has planned for your life, I believe when we ask these questions we're going to display, it's going to help us understand, is that Christ? Is that what He wants, or is that just my feelings? Is, is that just what other people want? So here's the first one. Is it what Christ wants? So as you're going about your day-to-day in the big moments and the small, and, and you're wanting to do what James is telling us to do, which is what Christ wants us to do, and, and you, you want to do, not just call Jesus Lord, 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 but, but you really want to be guided by Him. As you come to those, those moments, those, those, those crossroads, you can say, well, is it confirmed in Scripture? It is what I think God is asking me to do confirmed in Scripture. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, but then also, this is important, it teaches us to do what is right. Is it confirmed in Scripture? The, the more comfortable you get with Scripture, the more confident you're going to, to, to get that you're living your life as Christ would live it. We all, most of us have jobs or we have responsibilities in this world. The more you get comfortable with Scripture, the more you're going to get confident in being the type of employee that Jesus would be if He was at your workplace or the type of caretaker He would be if He had those same people that you have un, uh, under your guidance. The more you get comfortable with Scripture, uh, the more confident you're going to get uh, in doing the things that, that, that Christ would do if, if He lived in Lawrence County. Uh, maybe a popular way to think about this is, what, if Christ lived in Lawrence County, what wrongs would He right? If He had your circle, how would He influence them? And then the more we get comfortable with Scripture, the more we're going to you know, have this, this confirmation that, that this is what Christ is calling us to do. And here's another one. Is it what Christ wants? Well, does it lead you towards the fruit of the Spirit? Um, it was completely by coincidence, Ross brought this up during communion, we, we didn't talk about it, but the fruits of the Spirit, it's important to dwell on in our decision-making because there's so many gray areas in our, in our life that, that, that we can feel clueless on because the Bible it seemingly doesn't speak on it. You know, you're not going to open up the Bible and be like, well, well Jesus left human resources. I, I probably should. You know, no, no you're not, you're not going to read a lot about a lot of our common problems, but this is where the fruit of our Spirit is our ally. We read about these fruits in the book of Galatians, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we are in a, a, a good relationship with Christ, when, when we are walking step in step with Him, these are the characteristics that are going to bubble up in your life. And so when we take James and Jesus seriously and we find ourselves asking, is this what Christ wants me to do? Well, one thing you can do to help get through that is, is ask yourself, well, is what I think Christ is calling me to do, is that going to cause me to be more loving? Is it going to, to cause me to, to spread more joy? I think Christ is, is calling me to do this. I think this is what He wants. Well, well, is it going to allow you to display kindness or even grow in patience, promote peace? Is that thing you think that, that He's nudging you to do, that, that step, that action, that decision, well, well, does it cause you to be more faithful 
more gentle? Will it lead you to be less reactionary and grow in your self-control? Because one thing that's true is, is God will always lead you to the fruit He is trying to produce in your life. Is it what Christ wants? Well, do godly people confirm it? One of the things that I've seen all throughout churches across the country is that the pandemic has highlighted how important Christian community is. I think that there is, we took for granted what the church can stand for and and the power we have together, and there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And Christian community is so important when it helps you to decipher if this is what, whatever it is, Christ is wanting you to do in your life. Now, when we talk about the importance of Christian community, sometimes what can happen is, is Christians can be a little hard-headed and think that, that people outside of faith, you know, they, they, have, they have no wisdom for our life. And, and Tozer, in his book, he says, not everyone who is faithless is a rascal. I like that. I need to start using rascal more, I think, in my description. But he says, not all people who are faithless are rascals. And he's right. They're non-believers. There are people who don't have the faith we do, and they're brilliant, they're kind-hearted, and they're full of wisdom. But they don't march to the same tune that we do. Because God has a plan for your life that the faithless will never understand. And that is one reason why we need the church. We need the wisdom of the church. We need one another. We, it's why small groups matter. We need other believers who can seek the Lord with us and for us at times. And as we say, say, what do you think? Do you think this is what, you know me, is this what the Lord's calling me to? We need the power and the wisdom of the church to help us decide that. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, God's purpose in all of this, and Paul's talking about God's plan coming to fruition in this world through people just like you and I. He says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, that's you and I, to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. A foundational piece of knowing what God wants you to do in your everyday life is through seeking the wisdom of your church family. Just to simply go to godly people and to have that vulnerability with them. To say, I think this is what He's doing in my life. Can you, can you pray for me about it? Can you pray with me about it? And it takes some vulnerability, and that can be scary, but it's so worth it. And then genuinely listen to and pray over what they say. Our wisdom, on our own, it's not enough to always nudge us towards the plan that God has for our life. Our, our humanness tends to get in the way. And I was, I was reminded of that um, a lot this week. I was reminded of that a lot this week, how our own humanness with our good intentions can get in the way of what God's trying to do in our life. The reason is because uh, today's August 28th, um, and, and August 28th will always kind of stand as an important date on the Halton family calendar because uh, August 28th was the, the day that, that we said goodbye to all of our family and friends and comfortable life in Maryland and, and made the 12-hour trip to Lawrence County. And so I was reminded of it, um, and Jeff knew it. I think it was kind of Jeff, he knows I'm a planner, and so he laughed when he, he told me what he wanted me to preach on. And then, he, you know, that little smirk he gets, and then he went on his way, right? And so, you know, you just saw it. You pictured it, right? And, and so, he, they're probably watching somewhere, and he just did it. Um, but, but he knew that date was important, important to us. We, we talked about it. He knew I was a planner, and so he wanted me to preach about planning. Now, I, I want to let you know that, that when the, the idea first came up about potentially moving to Bedford, Indiana, 
it was a quick no from me. Um, I got a phone call and from, from, from someone here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church, and, and they said, hey, uh, is there any chance uh, you would read the job description and, and consider uh, applying for this? And I said, no. And, and they said, well, that seems decided. Why? And I said, well, honestly, I have a dream job for most pastors at a, at a, at a growing, thriving church. Um, I said, my wife just got a promotion. Uh, I said, um, we're pregnant with our third child, and because of that surprise, um, we just finished plans to add on to our house. Um, we, had the, we had just gone through all these plans to, to, to build on to our house. In fact, we, we are, had already talked to someone else who had a spare house. It's just fun to think about. Um, they had a spare house that they were going to let us live in while ours was under construction. And, and I don't know why this was important, but I, I said, and I just bought my first John Deere. And it, and men are weird, right? The reason why that was important is because every man, when they look at a new tractor, when they're doing this, they're imagining themselves mowing their grass with that tractor. And God wouldn't make me forfeit that moment. Um, and so I said, I just bought a Johnny tractor. So, so I said, no, I really appreciate the, the interest, but, but, but the answer is no. There's all these things, you know, important things. But I knew deep down it was different. Um, we had been fortunate enough to have a couple different places across the country call and ask about us joining their team, and, and, it, and it was always no. We felt God confirming that no, and, but this time I kind of felt it was different, but I had all these things that, that, that was getting in the way. So I went in, and, and, and I told my wife about the conversation. I, I said, yeah, you know, we're, this phone call, they, won't, they asked if I'd have any interest in the job, and I said no, and she, I remember she asked why I said, said no, and I, I led with the tractor that, with her, um, and, and, and she kind of knew, and, and I said, but it does feel a little different, but, but it's just, God wouldn't want that, right? And uh, so about a week later, and I said this part before, maybe to this room, about a week later, I came home, and, and my wife's sitting at the kitchen table, and she, she, she's clearly emotional, and she says, we need to talk. And as a husband, the only thing more intimidating than that especially when there's a NASCAR race 10 minutes from Green Flag, is, is when you're, as a kid, your, your mom said, wait till your dad gets home. Like, it's, they're neck and neck, those moments. And uh, I said, yeah, um, what do you want to talk about? And she said, I want to talk about the, the job at Mount Pleasant. I said, okay. She said, in my time with Jesus, he keeps confirming to me that we are actually going to be leaving my home church, her home church, all of her family, all of her friends, all this comfort, and she's like, God's telling me to tell you that this is different, and our next chapter is going to be in Lawrence County. And in that moment, I legitimately thought I was going to pass out. I did this. The only other time I've done that in my life was when we found out we're having a girl, and she has since caused many of these. She's feral. She's crazy. Um, wild, wild thing. Um, but in that moment, in that moment, I knew this is it. This is it, and, and, and everything went as the Lord directed, and, and we've never been, we've never felt more satisfied in life, and, and if it was up to me and my own humanness, I'd, I'd still be using that tractor. Um, I'd be so happy on it, um, but I, don't, I, don't, I think we would have been living outside of God's will for our life. I, I needed somebody else who I could be vulnerable with to tell me where God is guiding, and I had to trust that. And it was ultimately, obviously, for, for us, the, the right decision. And that's not just in the big moments. It's, it's in the small ones as well. God had me sell the tractor. 
Um, it's gone. But is it what Christ wants, right? Is it confirmed in Scripture? Does it lead you towards the fruit of the Spirit? Do godly people confirm it? This is the last one, and, and we'll wrap up here. Does it require faith? Somewhere along the line, as, as we've lived our Christian life, um, we have felt that if everything is going right and well and comfortable, that the Lord must be pleased with us. But when you read Scripture, you see that when God uses people, they're not always comfortable with it. Somehow or another, we, we've believed this thought that if something goes wrong in our life, is God upset with me? But we're following a guy who was betrayed and crucified. And he tells us to take up our cross daily to follow him. So does it require faith? You know, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. And as much as God loves us and has lavished us with his love and has shown us his love, our comfort is not his top priority. He, he often calls us beyond our capabilities, beyond our preferences, and beyond our safety. So that way, the way that we are living our life on His terms is certified truth to the faithless world that God is still active. Does it require faith? And that is what both James and Jesus invite us into. It's this, this great faith-led adventure, a life that is continually navigated by the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not just a life where we are thankful for a Savior, but we're open every day to being directed by a Lord. Uh, as we wrap up, the, the band can, can come back up. Anytime you're, it doesn't matter if it's you're a keynote speaker at a, a business gathering or if you're a preacher at a church, um, it doesn't matter if you're a comedian at a nightclub, that it'd be unwise to never consider your audience when you're, you're speaking to them. And when it comes to a message like this, I I really can't begin to speculate where you may find yourselves today. You know, as we talked about, uh, life is short, as we talk about the things such as, like, you know, don't just do what you want to do. Let, let the Lord have a say in your plans. Find ways to do what He wants to do. You know, maybe you, you find yourself today, and, and Tozer's right about your life, that, that when you examine your life, you really do realize, man, I've, I've been real excited about the Lord being, or about Christ being my Savior I want to go to heaven. I want that assurance. And I'm just kind of asking Him to bless my plans along the way. And if you find yourself today and, and you realize that, that Christ has been your Savior, but, but you've not let Him be your Lord, you've not been true to that declaration, to, to, today's the day to make that right. For some of us, we can go through seasons of life where we're busy with our own plans or, or maybe we're, we're caught up in something destructive. And, and even if the Lord was trying to guide and speak into our lives, we've put so much distance that we wouldn't feel it, we wouldn't hear His voice. Grace is immense and abundant. Now's the chance to do something about that. And maybe it's not even for you. Maybe your heart breaks because as we talk about this, you, you know of people in your life, maybe your, your children, your friends, and, and you see they're just on cruise control. They've got a Savior. They don't have a Lord. You know, pray for them. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you today to do something about it, whether it's for you or others. Rearrange your priorities. Change some things to get close to Christ and to know what He wants for your life, not just in the big moments, but the day-to-day. -day. Do whatever it takes. How powerful is it if you tell your kids, you're not going to ball practice tonight, Daddy needs to get right with the Lord. 
I often say this, and I, I've, I've found it to, to, to be very true, and is that we have all the time we need to be as close to Christ as we want. We have all the time we need to be as close to Christ as, as we want. And sometimes we've got to change some things if we want things to change. But it's worth it. It is so worth it to not just have a Savior, but to have a Lord too. And no matter what you have going on, there will be people up here that would love to pray with you. Um, if you want to, you know, pray with the person next to you, it's fine. If, if you know that there is no prayer that needs to be involved, you just need to change some things if things are going to change. Certainly make some time this, this week to do it. Because Christ is Lord, and it's up to us if we want to make Him our Lord. Let's pray. God, in moments like this, I, I think the first thing that we often need to do is to thank You for Your grace. There are many things in life that when we screw it up and don't get it right, that's that end of the story. But you're always willing to write a new chapter if we need it. May we not take advantage of your grace and assume time is on our side because we just don't know. And we take the time now with a sense of urgency to, to, to figure out where we stand with you. And, and if you are our Savior, we're thankful for that. But we want you to be our Lord too. Give us the courage to change some things, give us the vulnerability to trust those people around us, the people we do life with, if, if we feel we're being called to a change, to run it through them. God, you expect this life to be an adventure. You'd say in Scripture that when we, when we hitch ourselves to you, that we're going to experience life to the fullest. And maybe a lot of us are missing that because you're our Savior, you've not been our Lord. And you give us the grace in these moments to stand up and to walk out of here made new. And we're thankful for that. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.